0: Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Generative Work podcast with me, Sarah James Wright, exploring all aspects of future business and conscious leadership. I'm delighted to be joined by Nicoletta Bertoldi, who is a filmmaker and a project manager, who's going to be asking me three questions about generative work. Uh, Nicoletta and I have been talking about these ideas for a little while. Uh, Nicoletta, I know you have a background in both large corporates and grassroots organisations, and you're currently project managing a new housing co-op. Um, but let me know uh, what. What was it that's really sparked your interest in generative work?
1: Um, I think it's some, some of the conversations that we've had around it, kind of, you know, seeing sort of how um, within an organization um, and also from my filmmaking background um, is in terms of how to best sort of lead and how to have a, a connected team so that everybody's sort of on the same page and you're not sort of forcing that collective energy to get to the destination, that there's perhaps a different way of engaging people because I know engagement is sort of, I don't know if it's so much of a big buzzword, but sort of not forcing people to engage, it's like an invitation. So I think I'm just really interested in exploring different methodologies, different ways of um, of sort of, you know, allowing people to bring their best selves, to the team so that you, you know you, you have a better product as opposed to just having like a leader even though I, I do believe that certain people have strong leadership qualities but other people have a lot to sort of con- contribute um to the final sort of product so a lot of what one of the things that you were speaking about you know i just found them very interesting
0: Oh, well, well, even before we get into your questions, that's already sparking my interest, Um, particularly the idea about not having a single leader at the top. And I think um, one of the things that we're really keen to promote is that leadership is a quality that everybody can hold and exercise in a really healthy team. Uh, but I don't, I don't want to get ahead of your question, so um, I'll, I'll sit back uh, <laughs> and uh, let you take the reins. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> have at it. <laughs> okay, so actually so that, that, that
1: sort of like um, sort of segues quite well into my first question that, that I have, you, which is... Um, what does effective leadership look like in the top, in
0: the context of the work that you do? Well, that's a really good question. It's also a really big question mm-hmm. because, um, you know, that, that embraces it, absolutely everything. Um, so I might not be able to capture every single aspect of leadership that I would, you know, I would like to see mm. in the world. But I do think one of the issues is, like we've just kind of touched upon, is that Leadership for me is a quality that anyone can embrace and exhibit. And actually, I think that enables a team to work collectively together, as you were talking about before, rather than feeling. I just feel like in a sense, if there's one leader, then potentially everybody else switches off a little bit from their leadership or the purpose of the team gets um kind of deprioritized in favor of the power struggles and whatever's going on within that team. Having said that, you know, part of the basis for this kind of work is spiral dynamics. And that idea of the evolution of organizations, one of the things they're really clear about is there isn't one leadership model that works for everyone. So what we kind of posit as a generative leadership model, which would kind of tie in with TEAL organizations and so on from the Spiral Dynamics School of Thought, that's right for some, but it won't be right for all. So I Mm. think that's something to bear in mind that we're not suggesting everybody needs to conform to one standard of leadership. But the bit that we're interested in is that um, everyone leads, and everyone leads on behalf of the whole. Mm. So that I think the big difference is that people aren't then leading from a sense of ego, but that's kind of going to help us to move towards that kind of collective intent, collective wisdom that enables teams to work really well and creatively and rapidly together too. Mm. Because I think we've all been in unhealthy organisations, generally more than one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I, you know, in my experience of that, the dynamics, the kind of toxic dynamics in the team just become the thing that everybody's focusing on. Mm. It actually becomes more important than the work of the team. So with this methodology, conversely, we really ask people to invest some time, energy, resource into how is the team functioning just as a unit of human beings? And if people are pressured, they often feel like, well, we don't really care about that. We want to just get the team being productive. But in my experience, if you can invest in how is the team as a unit, how are all of the individuals in that team bringing their best, then you start to craft a team that can become actually very productive because it's kind of cleared away all the stuff that's blocking their smooth flowing and their creativity. And then to get back to the kind of capacities and capabilities of leaders in this new space, it really needs to be something a bit different from the old model of leadership. Um, I mean, you might still want some of the aspects of the old model of leadership. You know, you're going to want to be able to manage a budget and so on, you know, and manage your time. But it's really having some human qualities about checking in with the people that you're working with and accessing your own humanity, I think. I think that's the way to do that, like your own vulnerability. The own your own parts that, um, you know, there'll, there'll be bits that you're good at and bits that you're not good at because that's mm. life. Uh, I mean, one of the phrases I often use is around including incapacity. So, if on a given day you just you're just not on your game, it's actually better to just say, Today I'm just not on my game mm. rather than try to kind of push through because you're working from that rather depleted place. And that's the sort of space that I think there isn't often in organisations for people to sometimes not be at their best. Mm. Or there's generally a culture in organisations where that isn't welcomed. So people hide that. They hide the bits that they're struggling with. They hide the bits that they're not good at. And from a systemic perspective, that's all useful data that kind of belongs in the system. Mm. So it's a bit like you're painting with less and less colours, you know, because you've decided, well, I don't want the red or I don't want the the blue. (laughs) Does that make sense? Mm. So there's a whole host of qualities I think leaders need to have. And some of the more surprising ones, I guess, are about including incapacity, really acknowledging your own vulnerabilities and embracing uncertainty, just being able to say, I don't know. We don't know what to do in this situation. And I think that's um, often just being able to acknowledge that brings us into this territory where maybe some collective understanding can develop because mm. we're not expecting one person to have all the answers, but we're sitting in a genuine inquiry about, well, what could happen in this situation? Mm-hmm. You know, if a team is facing a challenge, if we... have instead of sitting down saying, we need a solution, you know, you've got to come up with a solution, it's got to be fast, because this is business critical. If you could give yourself a little bit more time and space and think, well, what's the question that we really want to answer here? What's the thing that we don't know? What would take us into the territory of our true innovation and creativity? And I think Mm -hmm. actually, it feels as if there isn't time to do that especially when the pressure's on but Mm. in my experience that's the only way to really get to a solution that works for not just the team but the organisation and the kind of wider life and environment around it too.
1: Yeah it feels a bit more rounded really rather than kind of of narrow decision that gets made.
0: Exactly. And I think it's interesting you mentioned that because decisions are one of those things that can kind of close down the energy that's flowing. And I work a lot with leaders and teams where it's a decision, the pressure of a decision pushes them to operate in a way that just isn't optimal for that team. Mm. And then and actually the other thing I found that often the the temporal pressures you know the deadlines that we've put are kind of Mm self-imposed we don't always need you know it's like someone's had an idea that we're going to do this project in x amount of time and then we've worked back and we've said well this is the deadline for this yeah but actually if we can have a little bit more flexibility around deadlines um we can tune in a little bit more to the contexts that we're working in Mm. And I think that's another aspect of leadership, to have this systemic understanding that we don't, the team doesn't work in isolation within the organisation. The organisation doesn't work in isolation within its sector or with its customer Mm -hmm. base. And, you know, we need to pay attention to those larger systems within systems Mm -hmm. to have a truer understanding of what's going on.
1: So something you said about sort of leadership, how everybody is a leader, um, which I, I agree, you know, for everybody to take accountability for what it is that they do. But in terms of kind of a leader standing up and kind of going, look, I just don't know, or um, I'm really uncertain about whether or not this is going to work. If you go into an organization and a leader actually said that, say a CEO got up and said that, I wouldn't imagine that people would receive that that well, like in terms of going, I just don't know. Because I think there is a part of me that goes, well you know if somebody's a leader, you want to know that they know that it's going to be okay even if they you know that they're going to deliver kind of which I suppose is the stress of being a leader really kind of going don't worry it'll, it'll be kind of but that vulnerability that you mentioned and that kind of and I, I do think like sometimes you can go I, I don't know, but know that you can get the answer kind of thing. but I think people don't want to hear that that you're in a place of uncertainty. You know, that they want something definite.
0: I think that's absolutely right. And what you're talking about is the old system. And it's a really good point to make because with these ideas around working generatively, I don't think there's the sort of thing that you could just pluck something out of thin air and apply it to every situation and it's going to work perfectly. Because like you say, if you're in a, if you're in a system where the culture and the setup, the hierarchy, the whole structure of the organisation is on, on a different model, you're not going to change that overnight and one person isn't going to be able to change that and in a sense why would we I wouldn't have the conceit to say oh I'm just going to come in here and make everything better you know it's um in that kind of environment yes leadership we're, it's invested in our expertise you know leaders are paid for what they know and for the responsibility that they take and that's how that model operates
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and the difficulty with that like you've said is that suddenly there's the pressure on that leader to not admit defeat not admit that things are going wrong not admit that they don't know and the difficulty with that is like you're going down a cul-de-sac you know your options get narrower and narrower and narrower as that you know mm-hmm. you follow that that train of thought So if we imagine that scenario, but in a generative organization, let's say we've been able to set up this organization from the start so that as people join and as the team develops, we know that we're human beings, that we won't always have the answers and no one person is responsible for making everything okay. We never know whether an initiative, a project, an organization is going to be successful. However much we try to mitigate risk, we can never be absolutely certain. So it's it's that sort of more than human pressure for us to be able to control what happens when, you know, like we were talking about the contexts that this project is happening in if you assume control it's as if you can control the economy a pandemic (laughs) you know a financial crisis we can't control the context that operation that organizations operate within we just Mm. can't so in a sense if we can admit that and then we can perhaps engage in them and keep a weather eye on what's happening in those Mm. you know and allow stuff to move us And I think the pandemic's been good for that because, you know, it's a very easy point. All the organisations that said, well, we couldn't do remote working Mm. or we don't trust our work. They've had to leap in and give it a try. You know, the environment created a change within the organisation. So I think that's one aspect of it so that we don't set leaders up to be superhuman. Mm. And then also, if you have set up a team to say, it's our collective wit and wisdom that will really bring us the creative ideas that will kind of spur us on, then you actually want to hear from everybody in that team. Mm. And I think having one voice shout loudest in the old model of leadership tends to shut down all of the other voices that may have something really interesting to say one of the fears around that is that, oh, we can't, you know, we can't cope with everyone's opinions. You know, we can't listen to everybody. It would just be chaos. But another aspect of it is that people really need to be empowered to know when they're coming from their own sense of ego and when they're working on behalf of the initiative. And that's a certain kind of developmental maturity that I do think every individual needs to have for this mm. kind of collective thread to work really well in teams. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, that I think what um, when you were speaking about sort of, you know, that when, it, when somebody makes a decision and then it's, you know, you're locked in, and, and when you were speaking about... Um, working collectively it, it's it's almost seems like if there's there's more flexibility in that system which actually would allow for more resilience yes. which would mitigate risk a <laughs> bit yes. better yes considering the times that we're living in do you know and how uncertain everything is yeah it's like that that is needed
0: yeah i think that's it because like you say these are uncertain times it, that's just how it is. The pace of change in our socioeconomic climate has just got more and more rapid, mm. you know, and, and things like um, the climate emergency is having such a pressing effect on everything, whether or not we're acknowledging that or not. It's like, we, we just don't have the capacity to control that we might've thought we had in the 1950s or something, you know, we are gonna have to evolve As our experience evolves. Yeah, nicely put. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Okay, so I had another question. Um, So I was reading your blog about how to actually follows on from what you were saying was how to unplan, you know, in uncertain times. And but this is a a, um, you know. And it was, you were speaking about sort of making space, you know, so that your deadlines aren't as tight. So there's there's space space for that. But the mark of success for like a lot of businesses, well, I think a lot of maybe apart from B corps um, or perhaps nonprofits, is is profit and optimum productivity, which is aim. You know, the aim for that and the market, markers are often decided by data, um, which I think data is useful. But then I think sometimes you know. Um, it can be a little bit inhumane, really. Are you looking at a whole new paradigm in terms of outcomes, which which informs the the, the process that that companies come in and, and use?
0: I mean, yes. in a in a in a best you know best case scenario, then yes, we would really be looking at uh, the way we frame it is is looking at kind of exchange of value differently. Mm-hmm. So profit is definitely a marker as an exchange of value. Um, You know, money is one of the things that gets exchanged, that gets circulated through organisations. But it's not the only marker. When it becomes the only marker, then it seems like the whole organisation gets distorted into this kind of rather narrow channel. But if we think about, um, you know, one of the ways that we look at this is organisations are, in many ways, like the primary unit of human systems now because most of us live quite detached from our families even if we love them and you know have zoom calls with them and everything it's that the rate of uh, kind of like geographical movement Around mm-hmm. the world nowadays, it means people don't stay in their in the same places that they grew up. Their families are often distributed. I mean, I I think for you the same for me. I mean, mine are mine are all over the place. You know, literally all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, oh, I've just lost my train of thought. Finn will have to cut this bit. <laughs> Sorry. <It's> okay. <laughs>
1: speaking about community and how. Uh, Businesses are becoming like a sense of community because we're not connected to our families.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I think because we're not connected to our families and often we're not connected to the communities that we live in, mm. uh, we tend to spend most of our life at work. Mm-hmm. You know, and even if you're working from home as a sole trader, then Most of the people you'll kind of speak to during your working day will be people related to your work rather than people related to your home life. And of course, some people find a better balance with this than others or have lots of friends or have lots of activities outside of work. But the one thing that most of us can say is that we spend our time at work. You know, we're in an office environment or any kind of organisational environment. And that's where most of our human interactions take place. So I think if we can acknowledge that an organization is not just a profit-making machine, but mm-hmm. it is also a human system, then we can pay attention to the different kinds of value that can be created within the organization as a human system. So well-being might be a marker that we decide to pay attention to. Yeah, And that's becoming a marker even in some of those profit driven companies because they've realized well if you run everyone into the ground they become less profitable <laughs> you know you become less productive so actually if we can use well-being as a marker particularly you know mental health now is starting to be understood it's not just about physical health but again something that pandemic has focused us on is our health and and well-being that needs to be kind of one of the values that's exchanged in organizations. And then I think it's also paying attention to what happens beyond the organization, because one of the detractors about that profit-driven sense is that there's all these negative externalities the cost of their profit drive gets pushed out onto the environment or internally into their workers in terms of stress and conflict. So Mm. there's damage being done, you know, in relation to that profit margin. Whereas in a generative model, we'd be looking at the whole thing the Mm. whole time. So, yes, we would want to be profitable, you know, I want a profitable organisation. I want to support other organisations to be profitable, but not at any cost. So it's, you know, the old kind of triple bottom line of people, planet, profit. Mm. And then we'd probably add a fourth one around purpose as well. That's well, lovely. So that there was, you know, that the work was meaningful. Whatever we're creating, that's another value that really needs to be exchanged, that what we're doing is purposeful, it has meaning and value for the people who are working within it and the people who are benefiting from that activity. One thing it might be worth saying at this point, because you mentioned that maybe the only kind of organizations that don't work in this way are things like B Corps or not for profits. Mm-hmm. I'm really keen to dissolve the boundary between organizations for purpose and organizations for profit. I think that's a really unhealthy division Mm. because I actually think all organizations need to have both. Even if you're not for profit, meaning you're not a commercial enterprise, you still need to manage money well. Yeah. you still need to have a generative flow of resources through your organisation and unfortunately we've created this dependence particularly on like the big charities where they're constantly or or a lot of not-for-profits you know they're constantly focusing on where is the money coming from where is the money coming from and it feels as if they're kind of going cap in hand to like the ones with the money <laughs> And so there's the ones in the money that can bestow a bit of patronage on these other organisations that are creating a benefit. Um, And that feels very colonial to me. You know, Mm. that feels very Victorian to me that the ones with the wealth out of the kindness and goodness of their hearts (laughs) might bestow a bit of resource to people at the other end of the society who might be struggling. And, And that really reinforces the system. So actually, it's it's everybody's business that everybody is healthy, wealthy, you know, doing mm-hmm. well in life. So um, I think all organisations need to pay attention to, to both profit and people and planet and purpose. You know, it's like you, you've got to get the whole, the whole shebang, I think.
1: Yeah, and no, I agree with that. I mean, I think there is probably a, a shift. There is a shift that's happening. I don't know how fast it's happening from a from an extractive model to a more generative sort of model. Um, and I, I think even if you you know if you went to a, a large corporate and said, look you know your your employees aren't engaged, they have so many sick days, you've got high attrition you know and this and this is this is like a you know we can help you with that that I, I would imagine that that they would be receptive to it um a little bit more than maybe I don't know 10 years ago.
0: I mean I'd say that's true um but it's interesting with any of this kind of work that you know used to be kind of called change management and I don't I don't like that term either <laughs> but it was always like everyone's like well you know will the corporates buy it as if you know that that's the cash cow can you introduce this into corporates because they pay loads of money for this kind of work and yeah they do pay loads of money for this kind of work but um You know, we've supported a lot of the people that work with corporates. We don't tend to work with larger corporates, but a lot of the people we've supported do. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen is that, um, in a sense, those big corporates will pay a lot of money for initiatives that look good on paper, but actually don't really change the organization at all. Mm -hmm. And there's a statistic, I forget it now, about, you know, how many change management programs just don't really change anything. And they'll literally invest hundreds of thousands of pounds in it. Uh, But I think in that respect, we have to just leave those corporates to be as they are. If they really don't want to change, I don't want to be the kind of person that gets paid a lot of money to come in and change nothing. Mm. And even the word change for me speaks to a bit of what you were saying earlier around forcing a team to be a certain way most change management programs you start at a and you know the consultant comes up with this fixed point of b where they're trying to get everybody to Mm. and then you're just pushing the people the organization the culture to come out at a fixed point of outcome. And so this way of working, this generative way of working, and this is also true in, in other methodologies like Theory U, it's around an evolutionary process. So there's something, mm-hmm. like you said, there's been a change already in organisations from 10 years ago. There's been a change in organisations in the last year as the mm-hmm. result of the year that we've just had. Our approach is to kind of find what's already moving where is change wanting to happen and so in a sense you're working with emergence you're really kind of learning from the emergent future about where is the organization ready and willing to go to and you can do that by tuning into all parts of the system but it comes away from that kind of forcing quality and it trusts that there is always an evolutionary movement within systems because there is you know, that's the nature of life. And I mean, sometimes that evolutionary movement might be towards the end of the organization. Perhaps it's had its time. Organizations have a lifespan like anything else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I mean, think about how many people there are at the minute who thatch roofs. <laughs> I mean there's there's a few but you know what I mean it's like the whole roof thatching industry it's not what it was
1: (laughs) no it's not I had never thought of that
0: (laughs) you see what I mean it's like you know everything everything moves and evolves and you know we need different things even who's to say right now what will be the evolution around office spaces Because if we've all got a taste from working from home and we don't want to go into the office so often, well, you know, maybe those offices will respond to that. We've got a housing crisis. You know, we could end up where we've got too many offices and not enough homes. Well, okay, it's not too difficult to change offices into homes. That would be one potential outcome from the kind of evolution of life during the last year
1: yeah no absolutely it's kind of like um and um what you're saying about sort of not wanting to go into organizations that don't actually want to change um would you would you do you know before you work with an organization because say for instance some you know an organization said look we want to want to do this and these are the outcomes that we want and do you know if if that's actually would you know if that 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 is what's going to happen i mean like
0: well, I think we usually do, if we're working with a team, there's a certain amount of preparation work to get into it. And I think if we came across something where it really felt like, I mean, what you've just described is like, we've, we want these outcomes. We, if someone said that to us, we'd probably say we're, you know, we're not the consultants you're looking for, you know? Um, but if, if, if a team or a leader within a team is saying, well, we want to find out about this, you know, we, we want to discover what's possible that people can talk about the problems and the stickiness and the difficulty within the system. But then part of our methodology is to work with people and really see, are they ready to just explore what that means? What is that telling us? So it's, you start off with more kind of information gathering Mm. rather than up. I don't want to go in and promise that we can get your team from A to B. Mm -hmm. One, because we might not be able to, or two, it might not be the right thing. Mm. So that becomes really a question of who are we serving? And so, yes, we're in the service of the client, but really we're in the service of the organization and we're in the service of life itself. What is actually generative for the whole of life? Mm. so if the organization is telling us something that the leader doesn't like we would tell the leader what we think the organization is saying even at the cost of our own job wow yeah that's amazing but when we've had to go that far um I guess it depends on the leader. There's been some times where people have just not been ready to listen to that, it's not been what they wanted. And I think we've got better over time about not taking on those pieces of work, you know, learning which ones to say no to. But I think if we can really support the leader to hear what the organisation is saying, then things can really start to move. And many are willing, many want the support, because, as we've said, it's very lonely being that leader at the top, where you're supposed to have this, you know, divine ability to fix everything. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure,
1: especially now. Yeah. As well, just everything that's going on, you can just imagine. And be like, what's next? What? What? What's happening? Yeah.
0: What the hell?
1: <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, that's lovely. What you said about kind of, you know, serving the organisation as opposed to the client and um it, it just the impression that I get is that it's it's less um what's the thing that ma- um, minimum effort maximum efficiency yeah you know, quote kind of that that's what it reminds me of you know that you know if, if you go with what is rather than trying to push against the current yeah it's almost more powerful in a way and probably far more
0: productive it is I, I mean in my experience it really is so w- we talk about ease You know, and it's not something that people will ever say, oh, it's easy. Not that it's easy necessarily, but you can find a sense of ease rather than that efforting. And when you are efforting, you're coming from a sense of will. You're back into operating from ego Mm -hmm. rather than operating from a more integrated place of your being, which can actually serve something wider than your own narrow interests. Mm -hmm. This comes down to, I think, you know, we can talk about what organisations might look like if they're set up in this generative way, but you can't divorce that from what are the leaders like and what are the people that work in those organisations like? Because if you're going to work in the service of life, you have to understand what does that mean? What does that phrase, you know, even mean for you as an individual? Mm -hmm. Because most people are from this very different dynamic about, well, I, I work hard, I get my money and then I spend my money, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's very much around self-interest.
1: Yeah, and hopefully we're moving more towards something that's a little bit more collective, really, because it's what's needed, isn't it, really?
0: Yeah, and I guess the other thing to say about this, which may be an unpopular thing to say, but to me it feels absolutely true, it's not just around organisations that are set up for profit, Because I've worked a lot with organisations that are set up for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And people are often working through their own egoic material in those kinds of organisations. And it's not that they want to be top dog necessarily or earn top dollar. Mm -hmm. But they have kind of latched on to the need to help something a cause a person a group of people and actually they are often overgiving and overworking Mm -hmm. out of a sense of undervaluing themselves personally and Mm -hmm. that happens a lot and there's a lot of burnout in purpose-based organizations for that reason and strictly speaking that is part of our ego Hmm that's still working from ego rather than working from this deeper sense of who we are and what we can do kind of within our lives we're trying to fulfill our own need by working on behalf of others Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't help ultimately it doesn't help
1: yeah because it's sort of like a self-sacrificing approach isn't it really
0: which I suppose is not Yeah, you're right. It's not, it's not helpful. It's not sustainable. Mm. And the other difficulty with self-sacrificing, I mean, part of, you know, what we bring into our model is, is this idea of, you know, everything external is mirrored internally. Mm. So everything you are holding, all the truths that you hold as self-evident about yourself on the inside, you are mirroring and projecting into the outside world. So if you say, I have to sacrifice myself in order for me to create a benefit in the world, then that's a bit of a warped perspective. That's not Mm -hmm. how life works. You know, life works out of a kind of abundance of generosity. Mm -hmm. Life is just kind of overflowing. When it comes from that perspective, I'm full up and therefore I can give to you or my cause from a place of fullness and wellness, that's great. But if you're coming from a place of lack in yourself, all you can really create is more lack. Mm -hmm. And that feels like a kind of harsh thing to say because there are so very many people whose hearts are in the right place and who are doing good work in organisations that are set up to create something good into the world. But actually my belief is that unless you can really shift that belief system underneath that, there's a limit to what you can actually achieve. And the culture is often quite inhumane in those organisations.
1: But because there's a greater purpose, the idea that kind of there needs to be some, you know, People need to sacrifice themselves to
0: Yeah, work absolutely. See. I think most of the big, big charities that I've worked with, mm. there is this idea that, yeah, self-sacrifice is a part of the culture. And if you're not working way over your hours, you're deemed to be not doing enough. If you're not on the edge of burnout, you're not doing enough. And all of the leaders model that because they have all this pressure about being the ones with all the answers. Yeah, and so it it stifles people's creativity as well. It's not a good environment to work in. That
1: sounds very similar to large corporate really.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah
1: driver though. yeah
0: well, I've, you know, in my experience, what what they've done in the last sort of twenty years is try to run large for-profit organizations like corporates. Mm. um and actually, sometimes there can be more of a humane culture within a profit-driven organization because they can sort of afford to look at well-being <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um I do think in a way though that's almost run its course I think people are really aware now that the amount of sort of productivity days lost in illness and stress and burnout and all the rest of it means it's it's just not worth pushing people that hard
1: yeah, because we're not we're not computers. Yeah. You know, we're not <laughs> We're not machines. Yeah, you know, we're not. So but, but yeah, I mean, um I'm actually surprised. I didn't really know that not for profits were could have that in that 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 environment really, even when it's purpose driven. Mm. Um going on to the the next question, if that's okay. I've got it's oh. actually with the with some I suppose it's a non profit that I'm involved in, the, the housing co-op. But, um, which is building affordable homes, affordable, sustainable homes. Um, and with, um, I mean, I've discussed it with you before, but the decision-making in a cooperative is is shared. And it's good on one hand, but then on the other hand, it can really delay progress, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, within the group. And um, because there isn't sort of clear leadership, there's people with, with good leadership qualities within the group, but, you know, then... If that happens, that person then starts to take on all the responsibility yet again for, yeah. for the group. How would you use a generative approach within this kind of organisation? And bearing in mind, it's also you know the, the, there's external stakeholders that come in, the professionals that do work. Mm-hmm. But then there's there's also and people with great skills within the group that 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 do the work, but then there's also a lot of volunteer volunteers who don't necessarily have the skill set or um you know it's not it's not a business in the in the same way as sort of like uh you know a, i don't know a normal business would mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. but it, so it's a community and it's a business yeah,
0: yeah. so again i can kind of, Say a couple of things that might be helpful pointers, but I'm wary of, of, again, coming across an expert with all the answers because I don't think there's a kind of product you can take off the shelf that will cure this. Mm-hmm. I think it's much more around developing a culture overall where you do look at the exchange of value differently. All the different exchanges of value, including, you know, your volunteers and what they're bringing, um, and that you start from the ground up to build a culture where people can offer their perspective in, but they don't necessarily have to be attached to it. So again, that idea of, you know, are we working from our own ego? Is it my sense of self-importance that says, "Well, here's my opinion on this, and I need to have my opinion matter." Or can we look at, as a collective, what's the right decision for the benefit of the co-op and, Mm -hmm. you know, for the people who are going to benefit from that? And so we work with a kind of methodology called organizational constellations that is a really useful tool for setting up a kind of map of those kind of questions. And it uses an embodied process where you can start to actually see what different um, decisions might, how they might impact on the various stakeholders. Mm. So that's one thing I'd say, you know, there are, there are tools and methodologies around now to support that. Um, and just a couple of other kind of quick tips. Uh, They're, Quaker business method is is a really good one to go and look up, um, particularly around decision making. So one of the aspects of that that I really like is that the Quakers who've been communities and businesses for a long space of time, you know, they've set up to, to create a benefit and a profit. So they were like the, the pre-runners of um, the B Corp movement. And they separated out decision-making from decision-taking. So Mm -hmm. the process of making a decision involved getting all the voices hearing the opinions tossing it around for a while and you could have that as a kind of more of an extended process and then the decision taking was a bit easier because it's like well we've had we've really gone through this we've gone to the bottom of it we're really clear about what the impact is and we've decided to take this decision Mm -hmm. and i think if you can invest in the front end It's a bit similar to what we were saying in teams, invest in that front end and then the decision that you make is more likely to be the right one and to be able to hold for, you know, a span of time Mm. than making a decision quickly and then, you know, repenting it at leisure or whatever that phrase is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the other aspect of that, which this again relates to spiral dynamics there's a, it within Spiral Dynamics, what they call a green organisation, where everyone has kind of an equal sense of belonging and everybody has a more or less equal say, that can work to an extent and everyone can feel included. But like you say, it can slow down the process of what needs to happen because we're just trying to make sure everybody's OK all of the time. Mm in the teal model it's it's something a little bit different that somebody might take point on a particular decision so whoever's taken responsibility around that particular area of work they might want to genuinely listen to everybody but they still might take the decision mm. you know and people will hopefully will have felt included if you can run the processes around it, right? Even if what they've suggested doesn't take place, mm. if they felt heard and they their consideration has been included, you yeah. know, and there's been a really full discussion around it. It might be that you can get broad agreement about you know as a whole, we think this is probably the best decision to make on behalf of the co-op and its beneficiaries.
1: Mm.
0: So some people might still be a little bit disappointed that their opinion hasn't held sway, but ideally they would feel sufficiently included and sufficiently invested in the whole that they would allow that to go forward. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: No, absolutely. I mean, what you these methods that you're sort of mentioning are, are similar to something that we've been looking in called, um, I don't know if you know, sociocracy?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, sort of, you know, you have the group when we're doing policies, and the group all comes up with things that might work or not work, and, and then then another working group will go away and sort of work on that and then bring it back. So there's this yeah. feedback loop. Nice. So um, and and it is really interesting because I've I'd never come across the, the 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 sorted decision making in in a, de- and when it when it works, it works really well. Yeah. It's. Um, I think I have natural leadership qualities. So I'll cut through something, and go, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to for efficiency. And also, I, you know, I think I, I generally sort of make good decisions, but I'm human and I, I don't have a, a crystal ball about everything that could possibly sort of, you know, what the risks are and, you know, what could go wrong. And, um, and i find with this approach, um, it's, it, you do get a, a fuller, um, perspective and a different perspective often from people who are quieter yeah when they get given a a voice you'll be like oh I I never thought of that and it and it really informs the the decision making in terms of it's just it's more complete
0: absolutely and I really like what you just said about it's often the quieter voices that are holding the vital information Mm. and in, in the way things are run at the minute um as as a general rule men speak up more than women particularly Mm. kind of board level you know I'm always working with women that feel they're sat there with information around a decision or a way forward but because they're not holding it in a certainty because they're holding it as an inquiry they feel they can't contribute that at a board level that I hear a lot Um, And also that the more extroverted people on the team hold sway because they're more comfortable in that environment. Mm. And so I think when you're looking at these different ways of working, you need to really have um, a number of methodologies that allow people with different learning and communication styles to be able to contribute equally.
1: Mm.
0: You know, if, if people are just less inclined to speak up in a group space. You have to find other ways of weaving their voices in mm. and really support the the kind of collective space to be somewhere that all all kind of tones of voice can actually be genuinely welcomed.
1: Yeah, which would also sort of in, encourage um, inclusivity and diversity. Absolutely. Women on, on, you know, not speaking up or quieter people not speaking up or kind of,
0: yeah anyone who feels you know in whatever way marginalized by the normalcy it's this idea of expanding what normal is within mm. your you know your particular setup and as you say decisions arrived at in that way they just feel more complete mm. Because we haven't one of the things I've done a number of times, actually, there's an exercise that I've done in teams like this where they're facing a decision Mm. and I've asked them to rank themselves, literally stand up and rank themselves in terms of confidence about the decision. So if you're really confident about this, you stand up this end. And then if you're really not sure about this way forward, you'll go stand down the other end. And then I just invite them to speak to each other from the different places that they stand in. And often it turns out that the people who feel more confident, they're wanting to push ahead because they have an agenda or they're worried about time or they want to be seen to be decisive. Mm. And they've they've missed some of the information that people who are less confident are holding. Mm. And so it doesn't mean that you have to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, but you can have a more complete discussion about, well, what are the bits that could hold us back? Are there things that we've missed if we just barge ahead, just trying to make a decision quickly that could derail us if we don't look at them now? Yeah. So there's lots of ways of doing this. You know, there are lots of processes and methodologies around now for doing this in a different way.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I do, I do find it, you know, really interesting. And, and again, the kind of the, the pressure on being the person that takes the, makes the decisions and kind of, it, it lessens, you know. Yeah. So kind of, um, And also it's not appropriate for this particular organisation either because exactly. like it's the idea as well, but I don't know if this is, but I I always think like if you have somebody who's leading something and something happens to that person, they can't actually lead. It's a risk, isn't it?
0: Yeah.
1: if If your entire team is based on that one person and people are, you know, people do have strengths, you know, like if somebody's a really great leader, they are a great leader. But at the same time, if your entire team is just waiting on, on that and that person can't be replaced, um, that's a real risk, I think, kind of, you know, or in their absence, nothing is happening in their absence. It's it's very, it's not really, I mean, I don't really love this word because I think it gets misused a lot, but it's not, but it's not empowering the team.
0: Yes. And the word that we often use is, you know, in that situation that you're describing, it's deauthorizing for people they don't feel self authorized to be able to kind of do their work or bring their creativity or add add an opinion into a decision making process so anything that helps people to feel authorized and creative i think is really important yeah because it's not a parent child relationship exactly yeah <laughs> yeah you you ideally you want a team of adults yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you're so right because when you think about, you know, I'm sure you and I both had several experiences in organizations where there was a very much a parent-child, mm. you know, dynamic going on. Yeah. And then it just infantilizes everybody that they, you know, they stop giving a shit <laughs> or you know, they <laughs> start messing around because, you know, you just become the child in in that dynamic. They also
1: don't tell the truth. Yeah. Which is very useful information, I think, for more senior leaders, Mm -hmm. like being able to, you know, for people who are sort of lower down in the rung to be able to tell people the truth. It's very, it's very useful information.
0: Yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, when you've described it as lower down the rungs, you know, this is, this is why those kind of very hierarchical structures might not be the best places for these kind of engagements that we're talking about. Yeah. You know, but you have to build a relationship of trust where people feel confident enough to challenge. And that's very difficult in a hierarchy. very, very difficult.
1: Yeah. no, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Nobody wants to be the person that you know tells the CEO off. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, literally your job's on the line, isn't it? If you yeah. do that most of the time. Yeah. This has
1: been really, really interesting. Thank you. And um, I've just gone away with so much.
0: Well, good. Well, my pleasure. And thank you so much for coming on. It's been really nice to chat to you. And I really wish you well with the co-op because, like you say, it's a really it's an interesting opportunity, isn't it? Mm. I mean, from what you're doing, the purpose of of the co-op is really worthwhile, but also Mm. it's an opportunity to see in order to achieve that purpose, how can we create an organisation that perhaps operates a bit differently to, you know, the majority out there.
1: Yeah, and it's creating community, you know, it's kind of like
0: that's the you know,
1: I think it's, you know, what we, what the collective sort of creates will be buildings that we live in and, or, you know, or, or people live in, but, um, but the actual community is, is the, the harder part in, in yeah. a way. Yeah. You know, in terms of a harmonious community. Yeah. You know, we can make decisions collectively. So, which is, isn't dissimilar to a business really. So
0: Yeah. 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 True. Yeah. So, um, Nicoletta do you want to do you have a, a website as yet
1: um what well, for Starlings we do um yeah I can do you
0: want the yeah give it out just in case anyone listening wants to go and look you up and find out more about what you're doing
1: yeah it's called we're going to be updating it because we're working on a proposal at the moment um but it's it, if they just um it's starlingshousing.org.uk I think I've got okay. it right
0: um, or oh, Starlings. So I'm just googling it. <laughs> Starlings Housing. Yeah, it's StarlingsHousing.org. StarlingsHousing.org, and we can get Finn to put that in the yeah. um, in the episode description. That would be great. Cool. Okay, so thanks very much, Nicoletta, and do check out the Starling's website if you'd like to uh, keep track on Nicoletta and the work she's doing in the housing co-op. And um, see you next time. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks so much, Sarah. Bye. Bye.
0: So thank you for joining us for this episode of the Generative Work podcast. And what did you think? If you have any questions or comments, it would be great to get your feedback. And if you would like to come on and ask me three questions about generative work, we'd love to hear from you. There are links in the bottom of the description for the email and website where you can get in touch. We're looking to build a truly collaborative community for people interested in working generatively. So all ideas welcome. And we look forward to exploring another topic with you next time. Drop us an email if you'd like an update on our next podcast release.